sixties. There were some Vanguard put out some compilations. I think it was about ten years into the sort of you know after the initial folk revival. So I I realised then you know, from from records I saw and bought of course, that they had an interesting catalogue, including Buffy St. Marie, for example, and that there was Vanguard, there was Electra, I suppose, was the other really interesting, I guess, yeah, it was independent in those days, wasn't it? I mean, it's not independent now, nice like Vanguard, of course. As I began to understand a bit more, as I you know, got a little older uh, in my teens, that these albums were, you know, you knew there was something, even if you hadn't really heard that much about the singer, if I didn't know that much about the singer, the fact that it was on Vanguard or on Electra or there was this interesting compilation it would have something worthwhile. Like there would be, maybe I wouldn't wouldn't love to sing, and maybe I wouldn't love the whole album. But it would be worthwhile. It would be interesting. Mm-hmm. That's been lost, of course, as it has in publishing, which is an industry I've worked in. You know, you, a label doesn't really stand for anything very much anymore. Publishing right. content. But in those days, I think it did. I mean, Baez and the whole folk revival scene around Vanguard made Vanguard pretty successful and probably quite rich. I mean, I, I don't know how, you know, I don't know what the company counts for but certainly they built a nice new recording studio in the 60s. So they did well from buyers and all those people. But I think there was an intellectual rigour about what they did and who they signed that made them a special company. I'll see you in my dream. That's the voice of Elizabeth Thompson writer of The Last Leaf, a biography of Joan Baez, who, unless you're listening to this podcast entirely on a whim, you know is featured in the story of Vanguard, the 10th edition of Vinyl Me Please's box set series, Anthology. This season, and the box set it accompanies, is devoted to a label that had a huge part in a very strange and momentous moment in American popular culture, the folk boom in the 1950s and 60s. For a while there, the first wave of baby boomers didn't try to follow Elvis or Little Richard into rock and roll stardom. They instead picked up acoustic guitars, hung out in places like Cambridge, Massachusetts, and the village in New York City, and learned old folk songs and got to singing and performing. This folk boom would have a lasting impact on music throughout the 60s as folk got subsumed into rock. The folk boom also represented the first time that a young generation basically pushed popular music into an entirely new direction, which would happen again and again throughout the 20th century as punk, grunge, new wave, hip-hop, every other genre you can name, each had their own moments of cultural dominance. The story of Vanguard is a 6LP box that aims to tell that story of the folk boom in the span of 10 years across six different albums. These albums, by The Weavers, Odetta, Joan Baez, Buffy St. Marie, Doc Watson, and Skip James speak to everything from the Red Scare to the quote-unquote rediscovery of old blues and folk musicians, from superstars to iconoclasts carving their own unique path. It's available for purchase on VMP's website right now if you haven't bought it already. If you have, welcome and thank you. We hope you're enjoying your box and you love the sound of these six albums, all of which have been lacquered from their original mono masters. If I had listened to what my mother said, I'd have been at home today. Rambler lead me astray. 
This season of the VMP Anthology podcast is devoted to loosely telling the story of Vanguard, which started as a classical music label run by the Solomon Brothers, before eventually becoming the home of folk music, a label that was target for rating for major labels because Vanguard's roster was a who's who of important folk musicians. Our box starts with the label's first folk LP and ends with one of the final LPs by a blues legend rediscovered by folk fans. In between, there's Odetta, the label's first huge solo star, and Joan Baez, still the label's biggest commercial success ever. There's Buffy St. Marie, whose Vanguard LPs would eventually change folk and electronic music. And Doc Watson, a technical wizard, who changed how folk guitar was played forever. And through all these branches of the folk boom tree, there was Vanguard, the folk label for, as their slogan said, the connoisseur. Over the course of these seven episodes, we'll tell the story of the folk explosion more broadly, and the story of each of these six albums. Each album will get its own episode as we talk to folk scholars and writers about Vanguard and these six albums. But up first, we have a brief conversation with Ronald Cohen, an emeritus professor of history at Indiana University Northwest, who might be the leading scholar on folk music. He's written more than 10 books about the genre, including books on the posters of folk, New York City's unique role in folk music's growth, and on folk music during the Great Depression. But his masterpiece is probably Rainbow Quest, the folk music revival in American society from 1940 to 1970, a complete telling of what, exactly, happened in American popular culture that a group like the Weavers could top the charts. Cohen started his research in the early 1980s and has spent most of the last 40 years thinking about what the folk boom all meant. Here, I talked to him about Rainbow Quest, his definition of folk, how New York, where Vanguard was based, became the epicenter of folk, and we finish it up by talking about Vanguard itself. To New Orleans, my race is almost wrong. I'm going back to spin my life beneath that rising sun. And so in Rainbow Quest, you know, if for anybody that's going to listen to this podcast, you know, that's like a very uh, vital book for understanding, you know, sort of the unique history of the folk boom. You know, in that book, you really trace the beginnings, like you said, sort of back to the, the late 40s, early 50s. I wonder if you could speak to sort of what like historical unique factors really led to this huge boom in folk music that happened in that period. Well, it depends partly how you define folk music. I define it quite broadly. In fact, I have a book called Folk Music where I explore a lot of this area. Mm -hmm. And it's basically I define it as acoustic music that tells a story although it gets into electric music, of course, by the mm-hmm. 60s, um, and the folk rock, and which I include as well. But it's also music that you can't or you don't dance to. So I define it as a, a separate from the dance music, or well, going back earlier in the 20th century, mm-hmm. but in, in my case, in the 50s, rock and roll, and smooth dancing as well. But folk music is a music that you listen to and you hear the stories. Now, the question is, why did this become popular? I don't know. 
but it, it overlaps with country music. It's very popular going back to the 1920s, recorded, and then on radio as well, and concerts and, and everything else. So it connects with that. It connects to blues as well, particularly uh, Mississippi blues or rural blues, uh, which is also music that tells a story or has uh, references to real life in it, uh, which is different than uh, what we call Tin Pan Alley music or commercially written music. Tin Pan Alley was in New York City, uh, which is music that you uh, dance to or listen to, but doesn't have a story to it. It, uh, It's called Moon June Croon music. Uh, But folk music has some kind of message, maybe. Now, it could be a political message, or it could be a a, a story about cowboys. I include cowboy songs, Mm -hmm. which come out really in the 1930s. But it's music about real life, essentially. Now, why that kind of music about real life and uh, you didn't dance to it, uh, and, it's, uh, and it includes uh, different kinds of uh, acoustic instruments, particularly the guitar and banjo and uh, harmonica and uh, some other things, auto harp, things like that. I don't know why it caught on. The first really popular group that you call folk music was the Weavers, which had a big hit in 1950 in, in the early 50s uh, with Led Belly's song, uh, Good Night, Irene. Why did Good Night Irene hit the uh, top of the charts in 1950? I don't know. <laughs> it's very strange. The uh, recording is, is well done. Of course, the uh, Weavers, the, the quartet, were brilliant. Red Dolly had died the year before, so he wasn't around to actually hear his song hit the top of the charts. Why that happened in 1950 in the old 50s. And then by the mid-50s, there are other uh, folk groups, the Terriers in particular, and uh, then you get other kinds of music, Harry Belafonte and Calypso. I don't know why, why all this, because it overlaps with Elvis Presley in the mid-50s and the rock and roll craze mm-hmm. and everything else. Also, this is music more for adults, I would say. It's not teenage mm-hmm. music which is the rock and roll and that sort of thing, except in the early 60s, it right. becomes more of a younger people's music. So different generational kinds of interest in this stuff. There's probably some factor of there being more teenagers than ever at that point, right? With the, the baby yes. boom happening. But it's interesting that, yeah, it feels like this you know weird historical anomaly that for you know a decade and change, you know, one of the like most vitally important American musics was this acoustic folk music, you know, that like out of nowhere, this thing came. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, as I said, there was a country music that had a broad appeal. Hank Williams, say, in the late 40s, early 50s, that kind of thing, or Rosemary Clooney in the mid 50s. So there's a lot of different connections. But yes, it's uh, strange. Oh, Another uh, aspect of the 50s folk boom or mini boom, mm-hmm. I guess, is international music. The Weavers did that, and that's where Calypso comes in, but also there's uh, other kinds of music as well that fits into this international uh, arena. And I think that's because of the Cold War. And mm-hmm. so it has a political overtone to it that the Weavers certainly were politically on, on the left and others as well. 
who are interested in a broader international outreach mm-hmm. and not cutting the U.S. off from the outside world. But that conflicts with the uh, Cold War mentality of American first protecting the country and stuff like that. So there are different political aspects to it. And that gets even bigger in the early 60s because of initially the peace movement, the civil rights movement, absolutely, mm-hmm. and the counterculture movement by the middle 60s as well. There are different political movements that are developing through the 50s into the 60s, particularly civil rights and uh, anti-war and anti-nuclear at the time. They weren't the only ones, but they were the best. Right. Yeah. I want to go back to, you know, your definition of, of folk music, because I think that was something that I really picked up in, in uh, Rainbow Quest was how you sort of underline that there was tons of strands of this acoustic music that ultimately congealed into what became, you know, the folk boom. I guess, why do you think that this version of folk is what coalesced out of there versus, you know, we could be living in an alternate reality where everybody is playing hillbilly music in the early 60s? Well, I think because it's more of an urban music, hillbilly was considered Southern and Mm -hmm. rural and also conservative. wasn't necessarily that, but it was thought to be that. So country music was more of a rural truck driving thing. And the urban uh, side was the folk music because, but many of these performers were urban based. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, there's, uh, it's not totally clear, but uh, a lot of them were Jewish. It's particularly mm-hmm. true w- with the record companies, uh, the owners of the record companies. They're virtually mm-hmm. all Jewish. Uh, and the managers were Jewish as well. So that, that's an Eastern European background, urban setting for promoting this music. Interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I guess, you, you know, you wrote a book called New Folk City that's about New York's, you know, like unique role in the folk boom. Is it that urban right. Jewish population is like what made that the hotspot then ultimately? Uh, New York City, yes, probably because the record companies were based there. Okay. Uh, the, for the folk labels, Folkways, Vanguard, Electra, Stinson were all New York City. And of course, others, Decca, which mm-hmm. did folk in, in the 50s, kind of dropped out after that. So, uh, yeah, and also in New York City, you have Greenwich Village. So that became the center for the, the clubs, the folk clubs, which were not uh, nightclubs. They, they were coffee houses springing up in the later 50s. And so that's where a lot of the folk singers got to start. And so people from around the country, Bob Dylan coming from Minnesota, where does he go? He goes to New York City in late 60 or 61 and starts playing in the, in the coffee houses there and hangs out at uh, Izzy Young's Folklore Center, which was kind of a, a meeting ground. It was a store. He sold uh, records and instruments, but that's where you met people. Mm-hmm. And in his back room, he had concerts and he also put on concerts. You also had radio shows in New York City that were Izzy Young had his own radio folk show others as well. So all of this stuff, other cities had clubs like Mm -hmm. Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Boston, Cambridge area, but not as 
as much as New York City, particularly because of the village. And Grange Village also had this background of being sort of a, a place for poets and avant-garde musicians and so forth. And so that, that became sort of the magnet. So to go you know, back to, you mentioned Vanguard was headquartered in New York. Can you speak about sort of what Vanguard's reputation was in the, the 50s and 60s? as a label and I guess, you know, as a young folk fan, when you were a kid, like what did the Vanguard logo mean to you? Well, uh, the Solomon brothers ran Vanguard records and they were more, more interested in classical music actually, mm-hmm. but they got involved in the mid fifties in folk as well. I think, I mean, they, they saw the commercial aspect of folk music uh, with the weavers uh, in the mid fifties and then all kinds of other people after that, Joan Baez, in the 60s. So they uh, they kept going. And it was also a very well-done label or record company because of their classical music orientation. Good-looking albums, nice notes. One thing about uh, those albums, those LP albums, normally notes on the on the back of the album with a, a listing of each song, something about the song and the performers. Now, some of the companies, Folkways in particular, put uh, little uh, pamphlets inside the album. So they had even more information. So that was part of their idea of folk music is to inform the customer about what the songs are, who the performers were, the background, the stuff, and so forth. So it's, mm-hmm. there's an intellectual or a teaching aspect mm-hmm. to it, I would say. But Vanguard was, was one of the best in doing this stuff. Don't sing love songs, you'll wake my mother. She's sleeping here, right by my side. And in her right hand, a silver dagger. She says that I can't be your bride. So that's the end of the first episode of this season of the VMP Anthology Podcast. In each subsequent episode of this season, we'll cover one of the albums in your box. Next up is The Weavers at Carnegie Hall, followed by Odetta and Joan Baez, and so on. This season of the VMP Anthology Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by me, Andrew Winnestorfer. It's executive produced by Amelia Sutliff and edited by Porama Chakravarti. It was recorded in my basement in St. Paul, Minnesota, so I need to extend a special thank you to Arthur and Remy for being very, very good boys and not being noisy while I was recording this. A special thank you to Elizabeth Thompson and Ronald Cohen for sitting on Google Hangouts to talk about old folk music with me. We'll see you next episode when we cover the Weavers at Carnegie Hall. And as a reminder, I leave you with this. Listen to more Dave Van Ronk. Five miles long And on every link A heart does dangle Of another maid He's loved and wronged Go court another tender maiden that she will be your wife, for I've been warned 
I've decided to sleep alone all of my life.